Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk, uh, recording today on Wednesday, the 29th of March, uh, 2017. Uh, this week, actually, is the we're having a week off next week because we're going to Frankfurt. Frankfurt Music Messer is on next week. We go to Germany on Monday and we'll be in the country uh, eating sausages and drinking beer and uh, working hard to bring you all the latest news from Frankfurt Music Messer. So do stay tuned for that. That's the thing I forgot to do. Forgot to record the show. <laughs> no, it's all right. I've got there. There we go. We're all good. Uh, so, yes. Anyway, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you. Hello to everybody in the uh, internet. Uh, thank you to YouTube. Uh, those of you watching via YouTube in the uh, chat room there and also via sonicstate.com forward slash live where we've got our own little IRC channel. I haven't figured out how to squirt them together and make it all viewable in one window and have everybody talking and everything, but I, I'm afraid I can't do that. So uh, I want to say thank you very much to our show uh, sponsors, competition sponsors. Isotope will be giving away a copy of Neutron uh, a little bit later in the show, so stay tuned. What is the show about? This is Sonic Talk. We're all about uh, music technology, music production, software, hardware synthesizers making records playing live all of the things and the so associated around making music so uh, let's say hello to our guests we'll start over here with mr gaz williams over there in bristol uh, gaz me, producer bass player music technologist been in rehearsals a lot recently so we haven't seen much of you uh yeah just starting a tour on saturday in uh, in leeds with the uh Charlotte Church late night pop dungeon. Excellent! I saw a little trailer on uh, on uh, YouTube or Facebook, which was really good fun. Oh, that! Yeah, I mean that was literally made up on the spot. Just uh, <laughs> which which yeah, it was cool. Just a little improvised song um, singing about the tour dates. Um, but this is great. We've got a brand new set uh, that we're going to be doing on Saturday, uh, with loads of surprises in there from a music a musician point of view. It's about as good a gig as possible for me because I just get to play in every style from like metal r&b hip-hop jazz classical prog i make sure there's prog in there of course uh, <laughs> country western little no a little bit oh, not good. directly not directly but um it's just a kind of really weird um selection of songs when i say weird Unexpected is a better term, really. Uh, and uh, so Charlotte was a, a very well-known singer. Uh, Child prodigy, classical singer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is elements of that still. Well, it's funny when you hear her, because um, occasionally she'll belt out one of those notes that you know that she could do, because the rest of the time she's singing in a kind of more of a pop and soul style, and then but she can really let rip one of those full operatic kind of... At, and she can really let rip as well. Yeah. Both. It's the sort of thing you discover in rehearsals. <laughs> right. Uh, moving on uh, swiftly. That chuckle you heard there was Dave Spears, g4software.com, uh, makes of fine software instruments and uh, collector of fine hardware instruments right there behind him. That's, uh, I think that's the OB8 voice. Is that, that's the new Model D, is it? Yes. Yes. And various other things behind it. You can tell they're old because the keyboards are all sort of yellowy. <laughs> Certainly to your left, anyway. Oh, yes. Right. Oh, mind you, that, that Tron's new. Ah, okay. It's a new one. How so, are you, Dave? Are you well? I'm all right, yes. Uh, I've got something to plug. Hang on. 50% uh, off the Tron libraries. Oh, and, not this isn't a plug. How about that for a bit of infamy? 
going to the going to a gig with Ty and being recognised backstage after the show. Yeah, by some young three people. Youngsters. Yeah, <laughs> I thought your comment was brilliant. And they've got hair too, result. <laughs> but yes, that was kind of odd. Ah, it's nice when that happens. Standing quite near the star turn, and I, you're kind of always acutely aware of people coming up and talking to him. and He's kind of rubbing my head, and doing things that he know and he knows annoys me. And uh, these two these lads came up and, kind of stood to one side and then they started talking to Ty and said oh can we take your photograph please because we watched Sonic Talk and we really like it actually did they get so, Carl to take the photo for them <laughs> with you no that would have been the best I've had that no. exact thing happen <laughs> it's it's quite trippy it really did throw me I have to say in fact I turned around and I said the only way you can do this is if I can take a photograph of you guys to send to Nick to show him that it really a it really happened and b Young people listen to the show. Some Apparently they do, once in a while. Uh, there you go. You get your obligatory uh, screenshot, Mtron Pro Expansion Pack Sale, 50% off, g4software.com. And there's a buy button Thank right there. <laughs> Someone's been doing some design work on your around your place. Get, you've got yeah, to get that is. stuff in. Excellent. looks very nice. Very well, much. Dave, thank you, for, thank you for joining us. And uh, finally, we've got Mr. Mark Tinley from Sonus Majus uh, in... Glastonbury, where he runs... Uh, I have actually got his website up as well. Sonus Major. Excellent. <laughs> there you go, look. And you've got a prop... There you Ooh. go, Sonus... Is it ma uh, Magus? Major? Oh, I always get I, I don't bloody know. Somebody who, Doesn't who matter. speak Latin knows, and I don't, so... G -g I, I won't, I won't claim to know that. How are you, yeah. Mark? It's been a while I'm since right, we've seen actually. you. It has. I've been busy being a shopkeeper, which is... Uh, well, it's a busy job, yeah, indeed. But... Um, uh, my partner's away in Milton Keynes interviewing people today, so uh, I've got childcare and all that. So that means I can be here as well, which is brilliant. So excellent, has been a while. Yes, indeed. Uh, as if by magic, the shopkeeper suddenly appeared. I, I get to say, excellent. Ah, yeah. <laughs> which is, for those of you who don't know, is an old uh, Mr. Ben uh, line, which is a child, uh, a sort of yeah, brilliant from our formative years uh, that's that is about as obscure well it probably will get much more obscure actually for, i don't know what on earth i'm thinking of course it will be much more obscure but how about this eh? these are uh, new optican discs well not new but old demos by a guy called johnny largo that uh, were uploaded by p hicks who is the sort of, seems by default, the sort of curator of all things Optagon. I really like that one. There's the cha-cha-cha. And there was another one that I really liked as well. But together with all that noise. Now, where has it gone? Here and now, Latin Fever, Majestic Pipe Organ. It wasn't that one. This one. There's a sort of funky soul type one. These are all uh, Optagon sound sets, I believe. And... I, I started looking into this. I mean, obviously, I know, Dave, you know, uh, have you got an Optagon? Yep. Explain to the listeners what an Optagon actually is, just to sort of, God. in clear terms. Uh, it's it's an organ which works via an optical readout head. So it's like a record, but it's a flexible record. And if you look really carefully, you can see the waveforms in there and they're printed onto this thing. And it's got loads of accompaniment rhythms and then you can kind of play along with the organ or flute or the wobbly marimba sound in the right hand it was made by mattel uh, and they have airbrushed it out of their history because uh, i don't think it did very well it's kind of i think it was built on a budget of about three dollars 95 so oh, here we go they don't 
genuinely last. There's, there, uh, funnily enough, on Optagon.com, there's only, uh, it's taken me quite a while to find an actual picture of it. It does look like well, your classic kind of Bon Tempe style organ, doesn't it? It's got that kind of thing going on. Ours is amazing. In fact, we, uh, you know, I've been obsessed by these for years and uh, really wanted to record the discs. And, uh, but, you know, the chances of finding one in the UK were somewhere between nil and zero. And then I spoke to Scanner, uh, Robin Rimbo, who put me in touch with the guys from Coil, who had one. So we spoke to them and then we went down and spent a couple of days recording in their studio there. And then through various events, one of them died and then the other, I think just after the John Balance died, uh, Sleazy decided to auction off a load of their gear. So we ended up with their Optigan uh, at the end of the day as well. And i got to say, P. Hicks is a legend and it was a real, in fact, it's weird. We bought, so he, he kind of, reissues discs and makes new discs for things like the Orchestron, which is basically the same technology, but you haven't got the, the cheesy rhythms. Uh, but he remanufactures these things and he is the, you know, the authority on it. And, uh, we'd, you know, we'd spoken and we'd bought stuff off of him over the years. And then remember when Tara Bush did that gig at, um, Royal Festival Hall, you know, the Purcell rooms, right. That we lent her the synths for, Yes, vaguely remember it's, that. Chris and I and uh, uh, Andy Shuso did the sound for it. Um, we were sat in this kind of pizza place along the South Bank and uh, P. Hicks sort of walked past. And I was like, dude, that's P. Hicks. How weird is that? And he's from like San Diego. Anyway, um, it turned out he had come over for the Kate Bush gigs at the time and had decided also to go to the Tara gig. So it was brilliant finally meeting him because he should have, when he flew into the UK, he should have like be given a sort of honorary OBE <laughs> or something like that that he could walk around with. Oh, should obviously service. stand for Optigan. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I've been looking around with this and I do, there are actually, there's actually a disc here. They're, they're manufacturing new discs for the Optigan as well, which is uh, Minimalism, feature, which features Tara Bush, and there are some other ones. But the interesting part of this was uh, this guy, uh, what's his name? Johnny Largo, that was his stage name, and he was introduced to the Optigan in 1971, and there's a whole sort of load of demonstrations that P has put up online that he did in 72. And there's, I mean, they're really noisy, and they still, but they still manufacture the actual... The actual disc, I mean, it looks like an insanely complicated process. I don't know if it's even well, kind of he viable. Does. He does. Yeah, in limited runs. Uh, I mean, and actually, if you want certain discs, you know, on eBay, they go for a fortune and stuff like that. We did, you know, obviously, we've, we've got an Optigan pack for the Intro Pro, which is on 50%. Um, but because, the, you know, the samples always kind of re-trigger from the downbeat, whereas the Optigan, it was brilliant, actually. There was kind of little red... So the light would shine through and there were four, you know, the, 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 the disc, when you put it in, had four little cutouts in that gave you your beats. And the red one had a little bit of red um, cellophane over it so that that was the downbeat. And that then came up the to the front panel where you would see this light kind of flicking. Oh, so it would give you a metronome. Three, four, red. <laughs> well, of course, the discs continually rotate on the original, so you can choose where to bring it bring each rhythm in they don't re-trigger from the you know from the from bar one as it were oh god that's amazing isn't it i don't get gas i mean you have famously been into prog i mean the mellotron has been the uh the kind of 
was the starting point for a lot of the kind of playback instruments. Have you ever come across anybody uh, using Optigan live? I mean, that would be a quite a. Uh, I don't wonder Oof. if it would stand up to the to the rigors of the road. <laughs> You'd have to be very careful. They are made out of like the flimsiest materials, aren't they? Oh, they're gorgeous things, though, aren't they? Um, I, I, oh gosh, not real one live. No, but it is remarkable just how um, well. There's a theory, isn't there, about how modulation just kind of draws the brain. It's attracted, you know, it, it creates something that's an attractive force. So the fact that there's so such a wobbly sound, I think it does, like much in the way that reversed sounds just sort of suck you in in strange ways. This kind of wobbly sound, it's, it, I, I feel it's something that is, well, I always find an Opticon is such a massive joy giver you know everyone everyone just like laughs and loves it they just love it unconditionally it's funny isn't it i mean because it's almost like magic i don't know mark have you ever actually played one in the, or seen one in the flesh a real one a no. real one not a real one no huh. but mattel did also make some very uh, other very interesting musical instruments didn't they can anyone remember the mattel synsonic drum machine oh i'm yeah. gonna have to look that up so oh, if you couldn't yeah, afford yeah. a Simmons, they made this box. It looked like about the size of a biscuit tin with four grey pads on it. And they, it did a kick, a snare, a hat, I think, and a tom. But then they, you could oh, there we go. switch it to Simmons. 59 bucks on, uh, yeah. on, on eBay at the moment. So I remember in like 1982, yeah. maybe, doing demos with that. And you could you could basically program a very simple beat and then play... Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> over the top of it, you know. I, I saw but, I mean, if you, if you couldn't afford a Simmons kit, that thing actually sounds better than you would expect. It's got Excellent. that kind of 80s it's... synth drum drum sound. Excellent. So. Have you, pl- uh, you know, you're familiar with uh, with the device? That, um, it, it was get... just, it, to be honest, it was on Swap Shop when I was a kid. It's like a kind of Saturday morning. <laughs> and I always wanted one and I never, ever found one. It really, I think that's the thing that really, that was the first piece of music technology I'd ever seen that thing was. I always wanted one. Well, I have to say, the <laughs> prices on eBay seem very reasonable. They're like, you know, under 100 bucks. There seem yeah, to be a lot one. of them, which must mean <laughs> that they're actually quite durable because you wouldn't expect something that's been hit to be still around, but here they, but indeed here they are. A lot of them get circuit bent as well, I, I believe. I was going to say it's a good, a good platform for circuit bending you can do some weird stuff with it um i'm just trying to think of you're, it. sorry you're saying about live using them live Opt- optigan yeah or synsonic i've got a great story um when we were doing the uh, pack i was talking to chad blake who has an immaculate i think he's got a couple that are all immaculate all the discs all immaculate he told me this amazing story about um Tom Waits uses one and or used one on a recording and then wanted to take it out on the road, the real instrument. So Chad kind of lined everything up, made sure it was all working perfectly. And he said he's such a stickler for, you know, you have to treat the discs in a certain way because they're reasonably fragile, that he had lined the discs up inside the sleeves in a certain way so that he knew, you know, which ones would get used and which ones didn't. Anyway, it was returned. Uh, and he looked at, the discs in the sleeve and was like these haven't even been removed so he called him up and said uh, you know tom was everything okay on the tour he said yeah 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 it was fantastic and he said well i just noticed that you know you, it appears you kind of didn't use any of the stuff he said no man i just like the mach- sound of the machine whirring 
indeed it does. I were, were there any? There must have been some modifications because you can hear all of those recordings. There's loads of rumble and kind of. I mean, there must have, could they be hi-fied or, or modified to sound better? Uh, they probably could, yeah. But no. it's a weird instrument because if you, as soon as you start tinkering things sort of disintegrate in your hands so it's like well leave it to the specialists don't delve too much we had a thing where it, there's a volume pedal and it's the way it's connected to the amp is just the internal amp is just amazing it's, it really is like a kind of piece of string and that had broken and it was like oh hang on we've got to feed this through and literally everything you touch was like it's it's kind of made out of plastic and corrugated cardboard Wow, yeah, you've got to be careful with that. So it's sort of, it's like white Bakelite, isn't it? That weird kind of crumbly white Bakelite. Oh, wow, the sort of stuff that Is the uh, Polyvox um, switches are made out of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think, who's, who's that kind of quirky English pop singer girl? She used it on a, I Beck have used it and, um, oh God, I can't remember her name. Gaz, um, uh, Simon Gogoli produced that album. Oh, God, what's her name? Don't know. I have to Any... pass on that. Ah. Hang on. I'm going to look There's this up. Time, yeah, you have to look it up and then uh, interject <laughs> at some point in the future. But anyway, um, yeah, check them out. I mean, the, what's so beautiful about them is there's just this quality of sound. And yes, they're really grungy and kind of noisy, but there's a sort of... I guess it's because all of the stuff would have been recorded originally in kind of old-school classic studios with sort of proper engineers sort of before pop music really kind of became as much of an art form and it was more sort of closed off to your sort of boffins in in uh, in, in brown coats you know and clipboards and stuff and it just it captured i guess the same thing was true of the mellotron as well wasn't it paloma faith, th paloma faith. there we go thank you i've got a slight sideways one then because i was thinking about this the other day um a chap has brought these big tube aluminium tube things into my shop and you, you hit them and they make tones basically oh, yeah, and i was nice. thinking i'm um, going to sample these um but, and then I was thinking, before when I did sampling, you would take one perfect sample. So you'd sit there for ages and you'd record loads of samples and you'd find the best one and then you'd loop it in the shortest amount of memory. And that would be the way to do it. So I'm imagining that this Optigan's probably built on the same principle. They record the best possible version of that instrument and then they get it uh, c confined to that kind of bandwidth and everything in the best possible way but that's not the way we sample now is it we need to take like 20 different versions and then you do that round robin thing so when you hit the key it's constantly changing which sample it plays back and yeah. then it gives you variation so do you put dud ones in now like <laughs> the, the occasional kind of bum note or badly hit one is that <laughs> no that is that's really interesting there was, there was a, if you've watched uh there's a series um spitfire audio the guy uh uh, I've forgotten his name now. I did an interview with him. Gosh, I can't remember his name. That's really a bit of a senior moment. Um, but he was talking about how he did that. They they recorded some obscure Middle Eastern stringed instrument and just recorded all the sort of grotty hits as well and ran yeah. it. And it just suddenly sounded alive and real. And, you know, it's, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly an approach. I did notice on the moving, uh, the, the sort of funky soul one, the loop wasn't quite right on the, on the beats. It was sort of like, oh, <laughs> it was just a little bit off. You know. Could have done better in an Akai, I'm sure. So when you look at the Optigan discs, if you hold them up to the light, you can see the waveforms, can't you? You can sort of yeah. see them. Uh, it's actually, you know, it looks like a just... So you can make, I think, I don't know if I make it, I can't remember if I've actually seen this being done, but you can, can you just like cut a piece of polythene, a little piece of 
what would it be? I'm not sure. Right. And draw on it with a Sharpie and make it play back. It probably could. I guess. It probably could. I like that whole kind of Len Lai animation with mm. the audio track on the side, you know, where they kind of drew along the where the SMPTE code was on celluloid, because it is actually a celluloid disc. Celluloid, right. And so they were kind of drawing along that and then using that as the audio for a cartoon or something like that. Excellent. It's fascinating. That whole world is really fascinating, actually. And I, I, you know, yeah, hats off to P, really, because he's the one who's kept this alive. And, I mean, orchestrons are, they do go for silly money. When we bought ours, Chris went, we paid that for that. It's kind of horrified. I, you know, he loves the quirkiness of the Optagon, but the orchestron itself, which was used on uh, Trans-Europe Express, the, the string line and stuff like that, uh, they just go for mad money. And, you know, if you, haven't, if, you, if you haven't got the discs with it, it's basically a doorstop. So the fact that you can go to, say, somebody like P and go, have you got any discs left? Have you got that flute? Well, you, you can, yeah, you can buy them. Uh, I think I was looking on, there's an Optigan, uh, the Shoptigan, which is brilliantly tight. They're about kind of uh, 100 bucks or whatever, you know, so they're, they're, not, they're not cheap, but, they're, you know, you can only get them from certain places in it. But I just love the fact that it's just super niche and there's a whole new dem- load of demos out anyway. So that's what really caught my eye. Um, let's, let's get to our competition. Why not? Let's interject here with... Uh, um, a word from our sponsors. Uh, obviously, uh, Isotope have been uh, talking about Neutron for a while, and here it comes. Neutron is the mix assisting plugin. Not only does it make suggestions, it analyzes the tracks in your DAW multi-track and says recognizes it a guitar or a bass or a vocal or whatever, and then makes suggestions based on you know what kind of level of processing you might want. But also, uh, something called the Mix Assistant, uh, which basically gives you this masking meter, which is a really cool idea that allows you to visualize the clashing frequencies and then tackle them accordingly. Uh, It's not something you might necessarily hear with such clarity on your monitors, and you can identify those frequency collisions. And when when you kind of get rid of them, the mix can clear up and there's a lot more space. So you can add those 50 extra tracks that you wanted to cram in there, in just in case. So they're providing a public service in many ways, but it honestly, worth, well worth checking out Isotopes Neutron. If you do mixes and you find it difficult, like I know many of us do, do try it out. Isotope.com forward slash Neutron. You can get a restriction-free demo. Just head over to Isotope and check it out. Once again, we thank them for their sponsorship of the show. In fact, we have, uh, from last week, we have uh, a winner. Um, the winner is somebody called Synth or Die, which is rather a classic name. Synth, uh, that's a Twitter handle, Synth or Die. Uh, they tweeted the correct hashtags from last week. Uh, and also Sonic Talk is boss, which I thoroughly approve of. Thank you very much. It's very kind of you to say so. I'm not sure I'd agree, but you know, it's nice to have that sentiment. So uh, Synth or Die, do get in touch. You will be uh, sent a full copy of Isotopes Neutron. And we have uh, another competition this week. So what you need to do is we're looking for the hashtag Smarter Mixes. That's one word, Smarter Mixes. And the hashtag Neutron, N-E-U-T-R-O-N. 
uh, uh, tweet that to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So tweet the hashtag Smarter Mixes and the hashtag Neutron to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And then you will be into, uh, entered into the competition and we can pick it up next week. But I should also mention no show next week because we're going to be in Frankfurt, which I think I might have mentioned at the top of the show. So just just saying we won't be here i'll be in germany uh, in fact the whole crew will be in germany um enjoying the halls the new halls i'm not sure what the layout's going to be this week you missing the notion of going to frankfurt i think the last time i saw you in frankfurt must have been years ago dave not even going for the yeah. day it's when you forgot your money oh yeah <laughs> god that was a... um yeah so well, maybe i don't know i don't miss paying stupid amounts of money for a hotel room for a few days i don't miss that at all no but but it's the people and yeah that's true well we're going to do that for you dave you can watch we can't Thank bring you, you the people but we can bring you the uh the content anyway and you'll be able to see and hear what there is i think it's going to be less less heavy on synths and we can focus more on sort of pro audio and some of the other interesting stuff as well so i'm quite looking forward to that just be slightly out of the you know because it's just modular modular synths modular 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 in a lot of the shows and it's nice to be able to kind of broaden that there's a lot of pro audio stuff there and so we'll see what uh, what's going on so that'll be interesting and fun uh, let's see. What have we got next? Uh, oh, yeah. Did you see this? Native Instruments have acquired this company called Metapop, uh, which is, uh, this was on FactMag. Uh, I spotted this, factmag.com. And Metapop is a kind of, um, it's like a remix platform where people will release stems, I, I guess, in Native Instruments format. So it makes sense. There's a connection there. And then you can download those for free generally. They're, in many cases, they're also linked to competitions and just, fill your boots, upload a remix, and if it if it does well and gets picked up, the record company can sort of choose from a load of remixes they've had done, send it out, and you'll get uh, 15% of the revenues that that remix generates, which seems, you know, uh, certainly it serves two purposes. One is you get to have a go at remixes, you also get paid. The record company also find and discover new talents for remixes and don't have to pay anything up front, although I'm presumably they pay something to uh, Metapot themselves. And it just seems to me to be quite an interesting model because, I mean, as we know, the only other previous way, certainly when I was doing remixing, the only way you could really do it was kind of bootleg, effectively, and then hope that somebody picked it up and the record company go, yeah, we like that, we'll do a deal. I don't know. This feel, does this feel like progress, Gaz? I mean, is this something that is... is I, I'm guessing remixing is not something you spend a lot of your life doing at the moment. No, but it is fascinating, isn't it? Because, you know, through things like youtube there's become a it's become a platform for so much so many so many people doing user generated content but it has created this um takedown notice culture as well yeah. so this is this seems like quite an interesting way of trying to bridge that uh bridge those two worlds really that of the enthusiastic kind of i don't want to call them amateur because this stuff's often better than the real thing but um you know <laughs> um the unofficial ones uh, yeah it's interesting isn't it um because uh, native instruments obviously have probably their interest must uh well, promote, promoting stems and obviously getting stems. all these remixes out to all the djs who are looking for more content and having something a bit different and all that sort of stuff as well yeah yeah because i, I i've been very interested in the stems funk uh idea but i've always been a little bit concerned that the, those elements that you work so hard to do could just be ripped off um, by putting them in stems format. So I think anything that legitimizes this process is very interesting and very good, I think, for the 
content creator or you know the producer yeah so. absolutely no i know mark i mean you and i both kind of came up through the atari sampler kind of remixing you know archipelago's kind of culture didn't you i mean and, and there really wasn't a way the only way you could do it was traditional and now you know the, i think one of the other things that they do is they also claim remixes so if there are ones that are out there that are on uh youtube or whatever they can claim them to stop them from being taken down and then generate revenue from that which is then split back between the original uh, remixer they get a cut and then the uh either the label or the performer gets the cut this could be kind of pretty cool I think it's potentially a really good idea. And the reason I think it's a really good idea is because if I was going to do a remix, I would try and differentiate. So I would try and do something that nobody else was doing, which hopefully other people out there with the same mindset will tackle other people's songs and try and do something completely different with them. And the first person that does something totally different that becomes popular um, is always the interesting one, isn't it? So I think, I don't know, in the 80s and the early 90s, we went through like a whole phase of people remixing all sorts of weird things and putting like drum beats on, was it Thomas the Tank Engine or something? Yeah, I think, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Like, like all those kind of things, which is interesting in itself, but then that generated like a whole kind of load of those sorts of things happening. Um, I, anybody who fancies themselves as a remixer should definitely be trying to do something different to anyone else so that they get noticed. Did I really just do that? And um, well, air quotes is very nineties. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, and I don't know. I think um, I don't know. I think it's a good thing because it will. It, it just means that the people that sort of sit around thinking, "Oh, I'd like to do a remix of that." I've had an idea, but you know what? There's no point doing it because if I do it, it will just get taken down. Nobody will find it. Blah blah blah. We'll actually have a, a platform that they can use, and they'll be able to engage in it, put their idea out there, and and you know we should see some more diversity. I think rather than I mean, oh, yeah. Well, maybe just, so. I mean, and am also, I just in my fifties no, and I, thinking everything sounds the same? I <laughs> think you're right. I mean, if you just have a quick look, I mean, that these are sort of tracks that are up there, and they're talk that there are sort of numbers on the sort of claimed potential earning for these remixes for these people. That's like fifty, sixty, you know, fifty, sixty grand. And I guess it's similar to the takedown algorithm, the analysis that is happening on Google, except they're using it to to monetize rather than just kind of ditch of the stuff i don't know dave what do you think i mean do you think it's good because i mean in some ways obviously if you're a remixer you might not be getting that gig anymore because i'll just go hella i'll just stick it on the i'll stick it on metapop and i'm sure we'll get something that's really good and we won't have to pay a load of money for it or is the money is the is the name part of the pool you know if the remix from roger sanchez or whoever's hot at the moment is part of the reason that it will be in the hands of the djs in the first place yeah i love it when you get kind of new remixes come through there's a guy who's working quite obsessed with at the minute, a guy called Nickitch. Um, yeah, I don't really know much about this world. I have to say it's a bit of a kind of, it's an odd world. But what was really strange is when the subjects popped through my letterbox yesterday, I was actually sat with a musician who's incredibly well connected, who has done um, a mashup, which is actually superb. He has the ear of all of the record companies, but he sent this to one of the record companies involved in one of the artists that he's done the mashup of and it's all gone very quiet and we were basically talking about you know how difficult clearances for things like mashups really are for you know for even from a record company perspective if they've got to go to another label or another publisher and 
start dealing with that. So yeah, it was kind of pertinent that this turned up because it was like, oh, I wonder how this is going to affect that because the mashup scene is huge, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's true as well. I mean, I guess that comes from DJ culture. I mean, they also do a load of competitions. So, you know, that that labels will say remix competition. They'll, you know, let's say, what's his, Carl Craig, and it'll, you know, 100 bucks and a bunch of uh, Native Instruments software, Tractor Control S5, you know. So it's it's a kind of promotional platform as well. So it seems like a kind of win-win. I mean, and it's quite, a, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of the last time Native Instruments were in the news for acquiring another company. So I, I don't think I've ever heard of that. So it's obviously oh. something that links to that. Also, there's, there's a really good uh, uh, a YouTube video from this T-Burn Burnett, uh, Burnett, which I really like, and he talks about the whole DMCA issue, which I'm acutely aware of, and, and how all of these kind of new, um, what are they called, disruptor companies generally remove value from a seen rather than add value to it and actually this was the first time where i went oh actually this is this is something that actually genuinely could add value yeah i mean it's interesting i mean i guess the next logical stage is uh, some way of figuring out a way to kind of uh to do the same thing for software you know for plugins or whatever so you know maybe they can figure out what's been used on the certain on each track and take like one or two percent off off the revenue to distribute amongst the people who, uh, who who made the software and has actually been maybe pirated or something. I guess that's a very different uh, a different dynamic and different set of algorithms, and not, perhaps won't work quite the same way. But you know, there's there is a market for that out there, isn't there? And it's not the same as old school DRM and the the, the sort of the very kind of hard line approach that 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 means you know you can't listen to x on y and then b and then you know it's just and sorry you can't listen to it on your phone as well as your home stereo because you don't have the nest you don't want that but i mean it just a way using technology to actually distribute the rights that uh, that should have been generated would be is 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 technology put to good use i think so yeah it looks like it could be an interesting exercise and maybe you know there's there's more mileage in that as well i don't know but um yeah and also, I suppose, you know, you've also got the, because Native Instruments are so heavily associated with both plugins in terms of production, but also the DJ side with the with tractor and, and all the control and what have you, then they get to a win-win. And do you think that maybe there's a, a the, the concept of a brand, you know, label, like a Moog electronic music label? I mean, a lot of these people are doing this kind of thing anyway, but I mean, it seems like this is probably something that's going to happen even more. Do they call it divergence or convergence? I don't know, Gaz, can you remember which it is? Um, convergence is coming together coming divergence together. is going apart isn't it yeah yeah um <laughs> i feel like i've like a, a pupil just been singled out yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> go to the go to the back of the class <laughs> well that wasn't my intention at all uh, anyway it's an interesting idea and i think it feels like it's all lined up to do good things rather than just make it more difficult for everybody. So I like that. Uh, oh, yeah. Anything like this ever happened to you? We've all done it. No. <laughs> I'm not convinced that wasn't a setup, but. It, I, it made me laugh a lot. This was via uh, the, uh, let me see, who was it via? The Drum Network, who are on uh, Facebook. It just sort of came out. In fact, they've got loads of really good drumming videos if you're just into watching people playing drums and doing cool things, uh, technique and all that sort of stuff. But I just thought, oh, God, you know what? 
I'll tell you what it reminded me of, Gaz, is that time when you were pulling on your headphone lead and your mic stand fell over and we lost the key on the... And I was, I was thinking, you know, but those sort of things happen. I mean, it's always when the cable is attached to something and you haven't quite got enough length on it. I'm just... Aside from that, have you ever had one of those moments when you've just turned and gone, oh, no, there it goes? Um, gosh, I'm sure loads of times. <laughs> um, it's not, it's not, there's nothing special occasion about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> I think I try and put them up my mind. I mean, obviously the time when I pulled down the microphone array behind me on the show, I mean, I had these in ears in, you know, so it's just, I've talked about this many times, but. So and you I didn't, didn't hear, hear it. it. We just no, saw it happen. Everyone else, everyone else heard it. I didn't see it happen. Everyone else heard it. I was, you cut to me. I was totally oblivious to it. I turned around and then saw everything, oh. all the chaos behind me. Oh, well. <laughs> but I mean, live though, it's very, I mean, because you have to put, you know, it's, you get those, when I, I've been there where you've gone to a gig and it's maybe a small gig and somebody's just leaning their guitar up against something and you're just mm. going, no, get a proper stand because it's just going to mm. fall over. It's going to fall. You, you know, those sort of things are important, right? I mean, I'm sure you probably do that at least. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, um, I, I'm taking out a, a much, much uh, sturdier stand on the tour this time because uh, actually the bass I'm using is just got such an odd shaped body. It's... You, you couldn't even stand it up; it would fall over. Um, but I mean, slightly different, but a sort of live story. I might have told this story before. I'll try and do it very, very quickly. But it was um, like uh, it was my band Rocket Goldstar back in two thousand. We did what was considered the first ever silent gig, and that had Roland sort of um, helped us out terrifically with it and provided V drums and the whole thing was silent and we had loads of headphones. Uh, see these things, this has become quite common with silent disco, but um, we were, we were definitely a pioneer with this thing, but uh, I mentioned it because um, it was quite a radical idea at the time and the press, we did a press show first at seven o'clock and um Oh, there was a terrific turnout. We had a lot of national coverage for it, and it was exciting times. Uh, and the opening tune, um, the opening tune, we 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 kind of e- extended out the intro to make it all ambient and to sort of. Uh, they were using the VSS. Is it VSS? Yeah, yeah, 3D stuff. 3D <laughs> stuff, and they were so they were they were like kind of panning stuff around and. You know, and when you, the part that you're playing live is being panned around your head, <laughs> it's pretty disorientating. But um, but we, the song delivered like a sort of big payload on the chorus, and that's where the drums and the big distorted guitar came in. And we're just building up to that moment. And I was singing lead vocal and playing bass. I was just coming up to that big moment and all this expectation. And I stood forward with like gusto to do the big thing. And I stood on the cable and I pulled my headphone out. <laughs> so you didn't hear anything apart from kind of... Total silence. I had, you know, it's like pulling your lead out is bad enough, you know, but... So when it's the only monitoring, yeah. I got nothing. <laughs> just cut off. Just at that. But at that precise moment Ouch. as well. Ah, so I mean, yes. Sorry, slightly different story, but um, but just one of those moments. But when things do go wrong like that, like that particular instance, then we had to actually stop and start again. You do develop a much better, better relationship with the audience. They kind of 
I don't know. Well, that's that they empathise and they want it to. Yeah, I suppose and that makes sense. They want it to work. Yeah, you've. It's like less of a. Oh, this is a weird thing. It actually, it actually brought it together. So uh, it well, that's good. I know, Mark. I, you know, you toured for a long time with Durands. I mean, I'm guessing most of the time, you know, your job and the crew's job is to make sure nothing like that ever happens. Indeed, and. Uh, for my whole life, my father has said to me, Mark, Mark, slow down, Mark. Think about what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I am the man who breaks things. And uh, yes, I was I, I was repairing a guitar pedal yesterday and it had like a long uh, potentiometer. One of the potentiometers on there is longer than all the other ones, so the knob doesn't go on properly. So I thought, if I just saw the end of that knob off really gently with a hacksaw, that will work because then the knob will be lower, won't it, right? And then I thought, oh, God, that will take ages. You know what? I'll just use the angle grinder. <laughs> so I got the angle grinder. It had a paddle wheel on it, and I'm holding the pedal, and I'm going, and I'm thinking, be really, really, really careful. And then the pedal slipped in my hand, and the paddle wheel went into the top of the pedal. So it's now got a very nice uh, kind of, you know, relic stroke road-worn look to it. <laughs> a credit card um, slot. <laughs> no, not quite that bad, but I did take a lot of paint off, and then I was like, oh, oh, okay. Motorbikes are worse, though. Um, I gave a motorcycle frame to some to one of my neighbours in Biggleswade, uh, and I said, don't worry, I'll, you know, I don't mind bringing it round. I'll just chuck it in the back of the car, and I'll pop round and see you. And it was one of those um, Honda press steel um you know, like kind of motorbike. And I put it, in, I opened the back of the car, put it on the back seat of the car. Um, and I thought if I drive really gently, it will be fine. And this big Range Rover came around the corner just as I was about to pull out, flashed his lights and beeped to let me out. So I kind of like thought, oh, quick, pull away fast. Pulled away nice and quick. And it went straight through the back window of the car. And I remember looking in the mirror and watching it happen. And there's nothing I could do about it. And just, you know, New oh, back window. Reminds, so so my my kind of uh, my good deed for the day turned into like um yeah. <clears> you know <throat> having to go off to Bedford and get a new bloody back window for the car and all that sort of stuff. So I um damn I don't know. That's and sad. I always have that voice in my head that goes, "Don't do it this way. Do it the other way." And then I think, "No, no, it'll be all right." And then it <laughs> never is. <laughs> Dave, I'm guessing there must be one. Or, I mean, you know, you've got all of this stuff around. I mean, obviously, it's very well kind of. Well, mostly, I've been there and I've seen things stood on end and those sort of things. Have you? Does that happen? That the the inevitable oops crash. I did, uh, yeah, I had one not that long ago. Actually, it wasn't here. It was down at the lockup. Uh, I was lending. Oliver Davis, the you know the Imp Two controller, and I put we put the dot com in storage for a little bit, and uh, the Chamberlain M4, you remember that Massive, four manual yeah. behemoth that is still being renovated. Um, the flight case for that is just it, just immensely heavy, and what we've done is put the wheels, put the base of it, which has got the wheels tilted that up against something and I opened the door I opened the first door to the lockup and everything was fine and then I opened the second door I had taken the modular up the, the two 960s the sequences out and put that behind me and when I opened the second door it just went bang. and those huge great road flight case wheels just smashed straight into the front of the uh, 960. I thought, I mean, dude, I was nearly in tears. I was, I mean, you should have heard the expletives. <laughs> um, 
but it just caught it at an angle where actually it sheared off one of the sequence step knobs totally and missed everything else. Wow. So it was like definitely someone was smiling, looking down on me that day. Uh, my, I think my probably, I mean, my favourite one is obviously Chris with uh, putting the wheels on Keith Emerson's Hammond organ and not telling him and then he obviously threw that off the front of the stage by mistake. But <laughs> mine live was, where I, I, was, I was in this quite a big band and uh, there was this brilliant percussion player and he was also a great guitarist and it was like, right, so instead of playing percussion during this part of the song, you're going to walk over, you're going to pick your guitar up and he was such an antagonistic little sod. He was, no, no, I'm not doing that. So Dale and I sat with him and just made sure that he was totally rehearsed and he was comfortable comfortable playing his guitar solo because he kept going oh I don't feel I don't feel I don't feel comfortable enough uh anyway he did it and we were at this gig brilliant gig actually Subterranea if anyone remembers that was a brilliant venue um and uh he turned round he went and picked his guitar up off the stand and turned round and hit my cymbal stand and the cymbal came down and just guillotined his lead and he just looked at me and going I'm not doing it now, am I? <laughs> no. And clearly, that was it. <clears throat> clearly not. Ouch. Those are, yeah, that, I've got one, a very similar one, actually, about the, I, I was, um, I may have told this story before, but uh, when there was a recording studio being built in a club in Bath and uh, they were, they had clients coming in and they were, um, the guy in charge of the buying of all the equipment was a real sort of uh, auction head. So he'd buy it from, you know, someone, something would come from New York and it would all get shipped into Heathrow. And I had to go to Heathrow to the uh, freight depot and pick up like a whole bunch of stuff that had to be back there by that night because it was going in the studio and the session was starting tomorrow. It was their first paying client. And it was, and I had a pair of massive um, uh, JBL studio monitors and I had them in the back of a uh, Vauxhall. And uh, I was like, look, the traffic's really... And, and he, I remember him saying to me, <clears throat> look, just I, I'll pay the speed in fine. Just you've got, It's got to be here. So I was driving really fast and, you know, doing... Which uh, is not when this actually happened. So I had this pair, massive pair of uh, uh, JBL monitors in the back of the... Uh, I think it was a, a, a Sierra Estate. And I was just coming off the, the ramp onto uh, on the motorway. And there was a bit of traffic. Then somebody pulled away, and I accelerated, and, then, and both, both the speakers just slid back down the car. Popped the back. Had the same thing. Smashed the back windscreen, and I was like 250 <laughs> oh, miles no. away from Bath, so I had to, <clears throat> I'd had to drive all the way back. But then what I did is I went oh, and I opened the I opened the door to go oh bloody I'll look at that, and all the glass fell into the lock inside because it had fallen oh, inside no. the door, and then I couldn't actually <laughs> shut. I couldn't shut the thing again, so I had all this stuff in the back of the car that could just slide out, and I had to go and find some rope and tie it all oh up and stuff because the bits of glass had fallen into the actual lock mechanism, and 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 so I had, yeah, and, and then it started probably started raining. I, anyway, I think I think I made it back, but yeah, that was a hell of a day. Um, but those I've not had. Usually, you get things happening here because obviously, what tends to happen is we've got lots of cables. You know, this this room is in a state of flux a lot of the time. We got. Um, cameras on stands and things and, and often or not often but more often than it should you know you get that kind of oop and the tripod is just going and you're just like oh I mean fortunately our set of cameras uh, at the moment you know they're, they're quite old and they're, they're not you know terribly expensive but you know you just don't want that stuff to happen do you? but I, I'm trying to think I don't think I've had a real 
I've done the plugging the wrong power supply and just the puff of smoke thing, but I don't think I've had a kind of one of those, oh no, and watch it happen in slow motion things. That's uh, fortunately, that's that's the worst though, isn't it? It really is. This I did the power fun. supply thing on a pig nose the other day and I plugged <clears throat> I plugged a little USB adapter thing into it, which I thought should work with it. And loads of smoke came pissing out the back of it. And I was thinking, oh my God, okay, I've fried it. Uh, so I unplugged the external power supply, put it back on battery, and it still worked. <laughs> well, I suppose, yeah, might, the transformer so, might have gone. Well, but no, the... I think it was a capacitor, so I opened it up and found something that looked a bit melted and changed that, and it still seems to work fine. So. Hooray. Well, that's yeah. good news. Well, it's nice oh, when you good, can fix, good old fix that kind of stuff. When it 70s happens. technology, so it's made <clears> better. Yeah, no surface mount. You can get a hold of it all. Um, let's see. I don't know if we've got... I think we're probably... Oh, yeah. Did you see? Did you see? I, I just wanted to show this picture because I just love the look of that. You see on Matrix Synth, it's just literally the mixer and speakers from the System 100 Roland. And it's one of those... I mean, it's a beautiful photograph, nicely nicely posed. Mm. And I thought, oh, yeah. I like. Oh, well, it's a bit scratchy there, actually. But I, lo I would love... So what's very it's interesting. one of those synths I'd like. What's really interesting about that is that the two main people that I've had career with, my brother Adam and Nick Rhodes, both own that mixer. Wow. So Adam's got one, Nick's got one as well. Nick's got the whole System 100, the little system, uh, the 101 keyboard, and then uh, the mixer, that, not the mixer, the synth that goes behind the keyboard, and he's got the speakers. Uh, I think Adam's got the sequencer as well. So, but it's kind of weird that those, you know, two—they're not connected in any way. They don't really. Adam and Nick don't really know each other that well. But well, they're connected by their love. They're of the connected system. by oh. their love of the System 100. Yeah. So, Dave, I can see you're you're perusing a rather <clears throat> specialist magazine there. <laughs> yes. VCO. Look, that's oh, London VCO. Number oh, issue number one. Yeah, wow. that was some. Um, the London Synth Centre magazine. Do you remember Chase, the guys who used Vaguely. to... They used to mark up the retail to an absurd thing and then discount it back to the retail and go, look at this as a bargain. He was quite a character. In fact, he runs a carpet business now in... Um... Anyway, yeah. No, I was just looking at the price. Uh, this was one of the first synths I ever bought, the, one, the 100, 101. And we've always wanted the kind of full set. In fact... It's quite an interesting little nerdy story. Uh, Roland were distributed by a company in somewhere in uh, like Sweden or Scandinavia, but all Jorgensen, and that all kind of went a bit pear-shaped. And uh, Gordon Reed writes about it in his history of Roland, and um, they basically needed to... It, it could have been they went down owing Roland Japan loads and loads of money and it could have been the end of Roland Japan. So they dropped all of their 100s uh, on, oh, I'm trying to think, I think it was ABC Music and various other music stores. This is like going back to like 79. And you could pick up the keyboard and the, and the module that attaches to it uh, for £199 each. Oh, so me and a friend went up there and tried to clean them out. Yeah, I mean, it was still a reasonable sum of money. But if you think that, you know, the Wasp was £199 a year later, uh, it was brilliant. And it was a great keyboard, and it was used, obviously, by <laughs> Mark's people and uh, Human League. And, and Martin Ware, I think, still takes one out and does these kind of talk-throughs of being boiled or... I'm pretty sure that is. So yeah, great synth. Got a really nice 
Lovely. It's really just, nice it's just a, aesthetically it. very pleasing, isn't it? That's the thing I like about it. The whole system's really nice, but I don't like, I don't know, those speakers are a bit kind of like, I'd like it all except those speakers. The sequence is brilliant. Wow, I don't know. I like it. Is there something, Gaz, that you kind of, uh, you covet from that sort of, uh, you know, that you just cosmetically, it may may not necessarily be for sonic reasons. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's dead cool. It, well, what it was making me think, though, was how, like, the Ira range, you know, how they've expanded that with with the MX-1 mixer and very, you know... Uh, the they've sim- gone for the look, haven't they? Yeah. They've, they've gone for this consistent look um, with the with the sort of um, Marmite green LED look. But I wonder in, oh, what are we looking at now, 30, well, more than 35 years' time or something, whether we'd be looking back at those and seeing them as very much of their time. Because that's what these... These have got a very pleasing 70s aesthetic about them, haven't they? Um, which... Uh, I I'm totally enamored with the seventies um, <laughs> as if that would be, uh, yeah, I, I love, I, I do. I love the chunkiness of all of that. I just think it's really nice. I mean, yeah. the modern stuff tends to not be <clears throat> chunky, does it? Uh, it tends to be sleek and compact. Yeah. Well, you know, it's down to sort of storehouse, where shipping logistics, storage logistics, whether you can make the packaging small enough to make it cheaper to get an extra squeeze, an extra hundred into the container. I mean, I guess all of that comes into it now, and that's become refined and a finer art over the years and over the years. And it, it does mean that there's a certain homogeneity to things just purely because, you know, if people use a specific kind of pot for knobs, uh, for synths, uh, uh, then those will, be, by definition, become cheaper because more people buy those kind of things. So that's the one that everybody uses or the knob caps or whatever. And, and having that difference is something that's... I, I don't know if you saw, there was an interesting uh, piece Cuckoo put, uh, a, a sort of uh, documentary with the guys from Bastel. And, you know, they just make everything out of wood, which is probably not the cheapest way of doing it, but it, it differentiates their stuff stylistically. Even though it's just Eurorack, it still looks really cool and has a definite sort of different vibe to it. And I think that's... That's brilliant, all of that stuff, mm-hmm. and it's just not so common. If we're talking in knobs, oh yeah, sorry, oh, yeah. If we're talking in knobs, I just got to say something which I think is absolutely bloody brilliant. I bought a secondhand Novation X station recently, and it had a missing knob, and I thought, where the hell am I going to get one of these? And I so I emailed Focusrite, and they said, I oh, don't worry, we'll send you one. What's your address? And they just sent me one for free, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I mean, that's like a 10-year-old synth. That is customer support at its best. That is, and it's resulted in a happy customer. And, you know, that's the way it works. Excellent. Um, I think we're probably about due to to knock it on the head. I just want to say it's been excellent fun, as usual. I'm so glad that you all managed to make it. Once again, I should say we're not having a show next week. Uh, Before I go, I should also say don't forget the competition. If you want to win uh, Isotopes Neutron... um, we're looking for the hashtag smarter mixes, one word, and the hashtag neutron to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's the hashtag smarter mixes and the hashtag neutron, smarter mixes, uh, Isotope and Sonic State. Gaz, you said. Yeah, like- well, uh, what about music messer rumors? We haven't uh, even touched on I, that. Uh, to be honest, to be honest, I haven't heard anything mm-hmm. at all. So. Do you th- I mean, we have speculated about this in the past, how things like Superbooth and maybe other uh, pr- uh, manufacturers just doing independent product launches has kind of taken some of the some of the the expectation out out of these big shows, perhaps. Yes, I think there is a degree uh, of truth in what you say, and I also think that Mesa has for a long time been 
just sort of not quite so international, just because it's so expensive. I mean, it's not necessarily their fault. It's just that the city is expensive. It's it's quite close to Nam, mm-hmm. so and that need to be in in both places is perhaps not so not so necessary. I mean, it's still a massive, massive show. I mean, it's huge, but it feels more like it's more a national kind of thing, but there's a lot of international stuff there, but just not, I mean, not quite as much as, as you would get at Nam, you know, which is California and in January, just after Christmas, which is nicer to go to than uh, generally Frankfurt in the, in, in March. So, I, well, I was just wondering whether any of the big manufacturers who didn't launch anything at Nam, and there was a little bit of speculation, maybe they would be releasing in Messer. I am just wondering in the chat room, maybe there could be something. Yeah, I don't there. know about that. I mean, I did email Roland yesterday, and Roland aren't going to be there this year. Whoa! So that's that's I know. I think Korg. Uh, I mean, synth manufacturers. There's a lot of other people besides, obviously. So I mean, that's. I think for us, we're going to focus. We'll be able to focus a bit more on. Mm-hmm. Pro audio and you know just a different la- layer and strata of stuff rather than you know just more of the same synths and more of the same company. So in, th- in some ways, it's worth us going because mm. we'll see all of that stuff and it'll give us some time to wander around and have a look at it. But yeah, I take your point. But uh, yeah, next week uh, starts on the fifth. I think we're going to be there from the fourth. I think that's right. I found a thing that relates to the uh, previous topic. Oh, okay. If anybody wants to buy a Roland System 100-102 expander, uh, the Vemia auction, Vintage Electronics Musical Instruments auctions in the UK, is just about to happen, and Ah. there's one in the auction. Vemia.co.uk, right, I just Uh, thought Item number uh, 16704, I think. Yeah, Vemia.co.uk, that's the place. I'd have to have a look at that, but... uh, Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on there. There always is. It's. I remember yeah. they, that always used to be a really big happening event, didn't it? And you get like you know your Will Gregory's and your Pete and, and your Adrian Utley's and all the people that are into synths would all be kind of yeah. hovering around, going, "Oh, I don't know. I'm looking but, at this. What think, should I? Should I not?" It's still an exceptionally good way to sell stuff if you want to sell stuff because first of all, you know you've got the right audience, and the um, the percentage that the uh, website take is considerably lower than eBay oh. and uh, I don't know it just seems like a good thing to me I don't know you shouldn't have told Dave though Dave I can see Dave's got <laughs> that glazed look he's got have you not got have you not got a reminder in your calendar for when it starts every every quarter or every six months or whatever they do it uh, no, I get the mails I, I think, I think it starts next week or something doesn't it or maybe it starts yeah, very soon, anyway. Let me have a look. Uh, I can't see at the moment. It's uh, just a sea of text. This one says it ends on the 15th of April, 2017. Okay, so it's probably... And it was crea- uh, created on the 26th of March, but it hasn't got any bids on it yet, so I don't think... Uh, and, the, and the bidding starts Uh-oh. at... Oh, my God. Here we go. I found the page. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Russian synth right. high fly. Oh, look at all of this stuff. Oh, I like the look of that. What's that? Is that a leader? That's a high fly. Russian synth high fly. So what's next? Oh, dear. Now we start. Yeah. Oh, chips. Yeah, they. I mean, uh, Peter Forrest, he did the A to Z of synthesizers, which is, for, for many people, is that sort of Bible guide of pretty much all synths. And he's a top chap. And he still continues he to do it. this. He's a really, you know, valuable member of the community. And I hope he does well out of it because he should. He's he's uh, 
He's a top chap. Anyway, I think I was wrapping the show up now, but uh, thanks for that. That's definitely, I'm glad we know. So vimia.co, you have to do www.vimia.co.uk. You must have the www in because otherwise it won't load. So do check that out if you're into buying. They ship internationally and do all that stuff. But, you know, just be careful, folks. It's very easy to spend a lot of money very, very quickly. And I guess for some of you who are looking to get rid of some tax at this time of year, it might be extremely dangerous. <clears throat> anyway, that's it. Oh, yeah, I wanted to say, um, I would. I did this track, I'll play out, actually, because I did this track. We are, we're going to be releasing uh, our first uh, commercial uh, Max for Live synth with the guys at uh, Metafunction, and I started putting together a track which just only uses instances of that apart from the drums, and uh, that's going to be coming along in April sometime after the Mesa probably Is launched. that feeling? Yeah, that's feeling. He's bloody brilliant. He is bloke. brilliant. He's yeah. so clever. Exactly. So uh, hopefully we're, uh, we'll have that. Uh, but I'll, I'll play out with that track. And um, thank you very much, Mark, for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you. Yeah, you're very welcome. And also Mr. Dave Spears, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you very much. And Gaz Williams, thank you for joining us too. Yeah, come to the Pop Dungeon shows if anyone can, because they're going to be great. Thank you very much. Okay, and that's it for this week. And we will see you next time. And uh, I'll leave you with a bit of this. <laughs>